0: To Catholic stuff you should know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John.
1: Hey, and Father Mike here. Merry yeah. Christmas and Merry Happy Christmas. New Year!
0: Yeah, good to be together. We got a crowd in the background, so Mike was joking. We could say we're at the C conference, which we are hey. not. But uh,
1: well, great. congratulations to the C conference. What do you say? Greetings.
0: Greetings. Well done. Agudi. I don't even know how to say it. It sounds like it was quite the conference. Seventeen thousand five hundred college kids. Wow.
1: I haven't been to one of these, but I look forward to it. Yeah. We don't really have young adults in our um, in our parish. I, something is beginning to change because we're having events now, but uh-huh. uh, we don't really have the Sikh uh, demographic. Okay you know we Didn't have more we go of to like Seek a couple years ago crazy and old demographic no i think i was in rome or uh, something okay. was oh you know what i had a wedding that uh, was scheduled that's what it was over there yeah. yeah yeah and yeah happy anniversary
0: 13 years michael can you believe it we're getting old tonight we're sitting around with what all these, all these young exactly? pups uh it was yesterday
1: yesterday yeah that's right happy anniversary
0: yep 13 stylites, years, is that what you said? Stylites was the first one. yeah, 2010.
1: 13, is a lucky year. 13. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what kind of anniversary is that? I don't wood,
1: know. Trout.
0: Or trout. Yeah, in the background is, uh, we're just finishing Lord's Day tonight, Saturday night, uh, about 9 o'clock or so, and uh, we got a bunch of the Minnesota companions in, which is just great. So,
1: They're delightful. It's always good to see these guys. Good I was little. trying to think of a word that explains or, like, describes i think my word is earnest earnest you know that word earnest yeah, earnest it's like genuine really dedicated really like emotionally invested and but you're an oscar wilde guy right? into something
0: are you an oscar wilde guy i don't know if he, i would he makes fun of being earnest right the importance of being earnest
1: the importance of being earnest because earnest was think, the
0: quality of the victorian man you know right so. So you think of like he
1: does, he does. He he
0: just thought that's ridiculous. He goofs
1: on a lot of stuff. Yeah, i I don't know that I am an Oscar Wilde guy. I like I haven't read much except for Picture of Dorian Gray back Green in Gray. high school. Yeah, um, but the the idea of making light of Ernest is uh, definitely there. Yeah, because I I don't know it can it can feel like taking oneself very seriously. Or everything else too seriously, and I like light. Right. But I respect it. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't really know his work very well, but I respect you it. He's still it. doing it. He's punk for sure. You remember those movies, Ernest? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ernest Scared <laughs> Stupid. It <were> was so weird. <laughs> Ernest Scared Stupid. Ernest Goes to Hollywood and <laughs> these kind of things. <laughs> you remember that? It was like uh, in the vein of Pee Wee. Oh, all man. There was some really weird stuff weird in the 80s, stuff.
0: man. It, makes, it explains why we're such weirdos. Oh, I do want
1: to see, I'll, I'll go looking for one of those earnest movies. I don't know that I want to recommend. That's one of those things. Like you put it out there. Yeah. Please people. I don't know if it's worth watching or.
0: I showed Christmas vacation to my guys. Uh, right. National right. Lampoon. And they just did not, it didn't register. What's the his humor? Name? Griswold. Yeah. Griswold.
1: It just, yeah. I think some of these things are like time pieces. Yeah. At the time, it just fit the culture and the people and the interests. That's a funny movie. What's your I,
0: go-to Christmas movie?
1: Oh, I'm definitely a uh, Home Alone guy. Home
0: Alone. Other than Die Hard, that might be the best Christmas I movie I love ever. Elf, though. Elf, really. Yeah.
1: I did. They, at my Choose Fitness gym, uh-huh. they have a little movie theater so you can you know, watch a film while you're biking and doing the elliptical machine should i feel embarrassed when i'm on an elliptical (laughs) machine i I rode one of those today out in the in the middle of the gym and i felt really dumb and it just kind of hit me i don't know why
0: yeah it is kind of a dumb looking motion
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it And there's this, uh, there's one of them that's just kind of like straightforward. (laughs) And then there's one where the legs go off the road. Like a huge,
0: like a space move. (laughs) Maybe Uh,
1: because I saw an old lady on one of those the other day and I was just like, that is the wildest looking thing.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so funny.
1: Okay. So yeah, I watched Elf in the, and that one to me doesn't get old. It's delightful, man. I, I think
0: same with Home Alone, man. It's like, it's a timeless, it's a classic but oh, now, yeah and i'll get
1: sentimental into, i'll sh- shed a tear with them yeah sweet silver bells, sing, no, ring, yeah. Ding, ding.
0: so you're uh so a happy new year also 2023 yeah. you're kind of a new year's resolution guy at least you used to be you got any crazy ones this year
1: yeah what was i gonna i was gonna write a hundred thousand words okay i brought it down i How's think i like had going, told people five hundred thousand and then two hundred yeah hundred thousand i'm behind okay i'm behind and i don't know now whether or not i should include emails. Because then it's like, you know, easy to hit the mark.
0: Hit the mark. I'm but
1: that is just not satisfying. I yeah. really don't want to write a hundred thousand words of email. I don't want to remember a year <laughs> that way. <laughs> I'll hate myself for it. Twenty twenty three is gonna be a bad year. Yeah, if you that write was the worst. Hundred thousand
0: words of email.
1: What else? I'm gonna laugh more. Huh. I don't know how to like program that. Yeah. But that was a thought You're I had. Trying to
0: figure it out uh yeah you were dancing more one year
1: yeah certainly did that was a good one that was a good year i think uh, no i remember i was all cooped up in that office and i was doing studies and all i was ever doing was reading for 10 hours a day and so i needed these little dance breaks yeah and i was kind of i was on my own in this little office so i didn't you know i wasn't ashamed or whatever you gotta dance and it was it's very refreshing i recommend it now having done that i have no shame about it are you a shame guy
0: on dance on the dance floor
1: no just generally do you get like self conscious
0: dancing oh yeah
1: in front of people
0: dancing and karaoke are just <laughs> i just no I, I can't do it i'm just horrible i it's just straight no. up bad my sister famously scoffed one time at my dance moves like a very she denies it but a very like she was just personally offended being near me as i was dancing she's like i think she was i think she's really embarrassed by just the the poor quality so yeah dancing more will not be on my uh, new year's resolution i think as you
1: get older it's less i don't know less of a worry that you are a bad dancer yeah. Don't you think?
0: I'd like to get to that point. <laughs> I'm good. not there. I don't okay, know. Young, I, I, young. Unfortunately, I'm just no. I'm just too too vain. I, apparently, so
1: shame is really hard for me though. I am very self conscious. Yeah. You know, there's some people who can just, and I think part of my like acting out sometimes histrionic goofy stuff is a way of fighting against that. You got Deep good. You got good moves, though. Fear. I've seen. I've seen you on the dance floor. Well, dance fine. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm not. I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm awesome, man. People <laughs> just like sit. They get around. You know and that circle thing. Circle. And they're just, just like watching Whoa. You. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, my my skills have waned uh, over the course of the last few years. But once upon a time, dude, I was just crushing. ripping it up.
0: Shout out to Eamon Naughton and his new yeah, wife Midium. How did,
1: how did the wedding go?
0: Wedding went. Congratulations, great. Congratulations, Eamon. Uh, it was beautiful. And Miriam. Miriam.
1: Miriam. Do you she's have to Tony, say it like that? Yeah, she's Scottish. Oh, that's right. Miriam.
0: Uh, beautiful wedding. I went on the dance floor for about two songs. It's the two songs and then gone. All right.
1: You know the Whitney Houston one.
0: No, it has to be like late uptown night. funk.
1: It, that's been over it, uptown overplayed. funk.
0: Overplayed. Uh, yeah, it's got to be in that like window when they're like warming it up for the old crowd. Not there. Okay. But it's not like too. To contemporary because I don't know any of that stuff except if I hang out with you then I hear some of this stuff. So there's that window when it's like late '90s hip hop. It's like okay, I know these songs. Yeah, but just two and then out. And Joe McGill was there, which was great to see him.
1: What do you do? Do you feel you feel weird when they do like the slow dance romantic song?
0: Oh, right to the bar. (laughs) Okay, the bar. Yeah,
1: I usually go back to the table, but then I'm like talking to grandma. Yeah, and I'm just. kind of too aware that i'm talking to grandma because it's slow dance yeah waiting to get back on the you go straight to the bar what's your uh go-to well you know that's just you say that because my
0: my cousin sam kind of and i got mocked roundly by john fraker for this at a hockey game vodka soda with lime it's like lighter and just the next morning you're just feeling better you got to think about these things now so that's
1: your go-to
0: we're pushing 40 talk about 2023 40 you're 40 in three months
1: Goves was just asking me, what are we doing for your birthday? But I don't think like that.
0: No. Three months in advance?
1: Well, I don't even think about... It. Three I mean, days in three advance. I mean, three days in advance, I wouldn't want... To. I don't know that I have, like, favorite things. Favorite things. Isn't that lame? You're not one Maybe of those for 40... Yeah. maybe this year for resolution i'm gonna find i'm gonna pick favorite i'm gonna things. have favorite things i'm, I'm gonna, gonna have spend favorite my band spend favorite my movies, 40s
0: pursuing my favorite, favorite hobby yeah that would be very really funny and then people
1: it. are like oh he's the guy who oh loves yeah he's jigsaw really, puzzling
0: yeah he's really into horseback riding
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's got to be kind of niche if you're gonna be totally. a hipster
0: yeah i gonna into like scuba diving or something just that nobody does <laughs> in colorado yeah
1: exactly
0: <laughs> yeah it's coming up it's crazy to think about man oh man We're getting old, Michael, but we were 27 when we started this thing, right? Wow. That's nuts.
1: Yeah, some of these kids. I see these kids who are in the seminary, and I'm just amazed. Carl over here is giggling. He's all smiling with his grin. Carl Berner, he's over there. Do you like when somebody's got a good grin?
0: He's got a good grin.
1: Carl, say something funny. Come here, Carl. What do you got? We're going to put you on. What do you got, Carl? What do I got? What are you thinking these days, Catholic-like? Oh, man, what's, um... You got a favorite Christmas movie?
0: Yeah. yeah Mike, oh, and here's the other, next question. Mike doesn't have any favorite things, so we're working on that. Do you have any favorite things? This guy's a great saxophonist, maybe that's it.
1: Hey. Yeah, the greatest saxophonist full-time, John Michael Coltrane. Michael Bolton? Oh. John okay, John Coltrane. Definitely my favorite.
0: Have we talked about it? Was he better than Charlie Parker? Yes.
1: Okay. Yes, he was. Okay.
0: That's a definitive statement, folks, from Would you guy. call
1: yourself Ernest? Would you describe yourself as Ernest? I'm not totally sure I know (laughs) what that that would entail. All right. Well, we'll (laughs) Very good. He's
0: being summoned. All right. Good to see you. All right. Let's get get down to business here. But I got a topic, and um, it's rather extensive, and I don't want to bore you all night because it's already 930. But before we get to that, we just want to circle back on Pope Benedict because you and I haven't had a chance to talk about that.
1: That's great. Yeah. Rest in peace, Pope Benedict. I always love this um, prayer in the canon that we're praying for refreshment, light, and peace in the presence of Christ. Um, Yeah, great Pope. It's very interesting. I feel like I came up in uh, a time when I was very aware of John Paul II being um, very influential in the way that I think and the way that I um, pray, the way that I prioritize things in the Catholic life, the new evangelization, these kinds of things. And then Pope Benedict was elected when I was in seminary and I was getting closer to priesthood and um, and then well into the intellectual journey and that's where he captured me mm. because um, I was just so amazed by and fascinated by his mind. You know, here's a, th- a synthetic thinker who seemed to have so much range that he could talk about anything in the patrimony of the church and um, I... As, as an intellectual, I mean, this. I'm biased, but I tend to think this stuff is so very important for the good of the church and for each individual and then like for the world to have clear and um, true ideas. I don't know, a sense of the truth.
0: Were you in Rome when he resigned the papacy? I was. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I remember
1: my first... Year, year and a half, I think. I was trying to remember what the timeline was.
0: I think it was 2013.
1: 2013. So I had a year there while yeah. he was the Pope. And unfortunately, I kind of watched him decline. It was yeah. such a privilege to be close to the Pope in those big liturgies at St. Yeah. Peter's and such. But he grew tired. He, he really got worn out by that thing. Yeah. And then there we all went up on the roof of the Casa Santa Maria and watched the helicopter fly away. To I mean, Castel it was Gandalfo. very dramatic. Yeah, yeah, where he flew from the from the Vatican. Wow, out to Castel Gandolfo, the old volcano that we used to bike up. Oh.
0: That is crazy. That's beautiful. You were there,
1: and nobody knew. It was such a shock. Yeah, like a pope is resigning. Nobody. Knew. What is this going to mean? Yeah. What's going on? This is exciting. This is strange. And um, people, I remember the University of Dallas had set up all of their students out in a, a big field so that I think they all stood kind of like in a shape to say goodbye pope benedict or b16 or whatever it was uh-huh. it was cool to see you know That's like cool. pictures and everybody's trying to honor this you know father of the whole church in a way and and something of a father there's some weird attachment that catholics have to their pope
0: yeah yeah, I mean his papacy came at an interesting time for us because we were in seminary. You started in 2001, I started in 2002. And he was really at the height as Cardinal Ratzinger. I mean, through the 90s he was just like just the man right next to John Paul, and then John Paul dies, and his papacy kind of lasted through our seminary time and then of course into priesthood a little bit. Mm-hmm. We were both ordained. But he was so important, and then I think I would agree with you in terms of like when we really got into the intellectual life and started, we were always kind of reading him, but really uh, that's when we took to his just profoundly synthetic mind. Um, the clarity of his thought was so remarkable. It's just like a, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I, I've been surprised, i shared it at Lord's Day tonight, but I've been surprisingly affected by it. Like it really just, mm. I don't know, it just feels like an era has kind of closed, like the fathers of the council. He was a paratus, he wasn't a an, an advisor, he wasn't a father, but just feels like just like, it feels kind of monumental. Um, yeah. But it's also confusing because he disappeared for the last eight years, you know? Right. And so it's just like, but I've been reading him a ton. will be a student of his forever. Um, and uh, I, it, you, we had talked about Sean and you were kind of developing some ideas around his vision of the church and the world. Um,
1: yeah, Jake and I.
0: Oh, you and Jake. Sorry. Yeah. I would say he had a, he didn't have the kind of radical optimism of John Paul who just thought, New millennium, you know, yeah. Christian Europe's going to restore. Well,
1: that's interesting. I didn't even think about on the juxtaposed to John Paul.
0: But he definitely had a sense that the Church was passing through uh, a really difficult and important time, but still hope. And and we we had talked about space solving. Maybe we'll circle back to that. Um, yeah,
1: was that his first encyclical?
0: I think the first was, was Cari- Caritas. Darius Caritas. Est. Yeah, um, but yeah, just like. So, I mean, I, I, well, just, yeah. I think
1: maybe it was like, yeah, John Paul was real into the moment, right this moment of history, this you know the turn of the millennium. and, um, and Benedict, at first blush, I was, I was thinking, ah, he's this German pessimist, and uh, I kind of mentioned that on the last podcast, but I'm, I have thought he's so embedded in the tradition of the church mm. that you see even a bigger picture that is so hopeful you see God acting in history and the unfolding of the Catholic church and the way that it interacts with the rest of humanity over history. And so there's almost like a deeper hope and a deeper optimism that crosses a whole span of time. It's not like if we get this moment wrong, then uh, we would lose hope or because even that say all the optimism around the turn of the millennium, you know, and, and post war optimism has kind of gone away. Yeah. A lot of it's fizzled. Yeah. You know, now we live in a time when it's like ideological there's uh, ideologically there's a lot of um, fracture and tribalism and it doesn't seem like the the nations are getting along. There it seems to be like things are either like crystallized in a sort of separation and division or just constantly frustrated. Yeah. Like are you ever going to get along? Yeah. But it seemed like such a happy family. The world is all moving to perfect joy and you know connection with technology and goodwill and all these things and so some of that has has fallen apart and I appreciate the kind of enduring hope of of the Christian vision. It yeah, there's really bigger.
0: I think some people are optimistic by nature, some people are pessimistic. I don't even know if I would call Benedict pessimistic, but both John Paul and Benedict were absolutely men of theological hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a deep sense of that God is actively working; that Christ is real and alive. And you read, you read his writings; and you just see that everywhere. It's just, and I'm doing more with eschatology now because I'm teaching that course, and I'm reading. He's got a book on eschatology, which is really fantastic, and you just see it everywhere. It's just like so. He really had that deep sense, and
1: yeah, yeah, a remarkable the church man. Church in the world belonged to Christ.
0: Yeah, I was texted a. Uh, photo of six nerdy seminarians in 2004 is that right 2004 in rome we cornered him there was this place this kind of german seminary or i don't know what it is exactly in the vatican and we found out that ratzinger was saying mass every thursday so we kind of snuck in hey I sat through a German mask, no idea what was going on, and then kind of cornered him as he was walking out. Yeah, good and reason. it was such a great experience because, especially when I was in Boulder, people would talk about him as the the Ponzo Cardinal. You remember that? Like he's oh, just this yeah. kind of fierce German uh, Shepherd conservative, and he's just very harsh and kind of. And I was like, man, he was the most gentle and humble, yeah. and he just talked to us like we were just really important. Yeah, and totally present to us. You know, like he had nothing to do he's that super day. Super humble. It yeah. was amazing. I mean, it was a it was a really powerful experience.
1: And I like that uh, people loved goofing on him. Yeah, he's like the you know fun old grandpa that you can goof on. So they would put like pretzel in his hand and a beer beer Stein in his hand and memes. Yeah, and he he wore that sombrero at one point yeah. and he got caught in pictures wearing that. Sombrero. He, he just worked well into the memes. He, did. he had these weird magic fingers. Yeah. You know? yeah.
0: I had a dream about him the night after he died. Whoa! Yeah, and it was very vivid. Uh, I, I have a lot of crazy dreams, um, and uh, I think it's a combination of anxiety and nicotine, probably that kind of cue yeah, that up.
1: That'll do it, dude.
0: But um, I was sitting with him, like it, we all the companions were together. And we were just kind of hanging out, and everybody was like in like sweatpants. And he of was in his po- papal, you know, get up. Red shoes. Red shoes, and we were just talking and I was asking him questions and I was just like you know what was it like at Tubingen in 1968 when you wrote Introduction to Christianity he was like blah 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 and then I was like did you really tell Balthazar not to publish Dear We Hope in 1987 and he's like blah 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 and then I look down and I realize I'm not wearing a shirt and I get like super (laughs) self-conscious and then like the Swiss guard kind of move him along uh they didn't
1: take you out
0: they didn't take me out they were just like why are you talking to this guy he doesn't have a shirt on <laughs> it was so it's weird like, and then it like all, got all psychedelic you know like how dreams just like <laughs> just totally <laughs> and you're just in it so you're just like oh that's okay
1: there's the pope and, and now we're, we're tripping spaceship. out and,
0: yeah exactly and now we're in yellow submarine or whatever so
1: it's like the emperor's new clothes
0: yeah it was very funny so
1: well that's a humble pope who can talk to some weird yeah dude we had with a no nice,
0: shirt on. nice conversation for a bit so
1: <laughs> that is great well, good. Do you have
0: any uh, other kind of thoughts or anything you wanted to talk on him? I do want to kind of get to this uh, topic tonight, um, but I don't want to cut it off if there's anything else. Yeah. No,
1: maybe just to um, express gratitude. This is—it's a very hard role. I mean, I think in our celebrity culture, people look at something like that and say, "Oh, wouldn't you want to be?" A lot of people have said, "Oh, wouldn't you, you know? You're going to be pope to a young priest, any young priest." But they'll say, "Oh, you know, do you think you could be pope?" and it's i it's a huge weight and a huge responsibility, and it's not like the Pope is supposed to be this kind of greatest of the celebrities in the church yeah and so there's a gravity to it that I really am I'm grateful for his taking that uh taking that on and I'm just grateful for that gift that Christ has given to the church of yeah. the papacy and yeah. I think um I commend him as a good man i ultimately we don't like You don't aspire to be uh, famous in Catholicism. You're not great if you're famous. You're great if you're a saint. Mm. And I think one thing I love about, I would say Pope Benedict is earnest. Earnest. That he wanted to be a saint. He's really, that money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. It wasn't talk. It was really about deep love for Christ and about a life of charity. Following Jesus Love God, love your neighbor. Yeah, and that was his way. A lot of it was in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I am, um, I, I take his example, you know, when I, as a teacher too.
0: That's great, and we owe him the the podcast came to be because mm-hmm. J Ten was his exactly. his uh, thirteen years ago. It was his um, desire. He was talking about. He has all these phrases that are just so magnificent. You know, when he talks about like the dictatorship of relativism. Yeah. Right? He was talking about the dig- evangelizing the digital continent. That was what we were talking about in 2010. And he was like prophetic. He was seeing into where this is going. And he really encouraged that month uh, young people to use technology for the new evangelization. We were like, okay, let's start this thing called <laughs> yeah. a podcast. Um, so, yeah, so gratitude to him.
1: And as a biblical scholar. Mm-hmm. I just know he did a lot for directing the ship yeah. for the future. And I'm very grateful for yeah the The... We needed someone to articulate kind of where the state of things were and where we can go, and he did that very well. Hmm.
0: All right, cool. That's all. Cool, man.
1: Good job, Benny. We're all praying right. for you, buddy.
0: I want to talk about atonement. Oh,
1: okay. I've been looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, we won't go too in-depth. I I've, So atonement uh, is something that I didn't know anything about uh, and then was invited to a conference um, by this wonderful scholar, Margaret Turek, who teaches at St. Patrick's uh, in Menlo Park, just an amazing woman. Okay,
1: John's lifting it up. Father hey, John is lifting li- up a book. Ah, uh, sorry. And he keeps showing me, but yeah. I don't see very so well. So she wrote so a book called Atonement,
0: Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and something else? Spiritual Theology. Spiritual Theology. I uh, highly recommend this book, Margaret Turek, Atonement. Um, and the conference was centered around her work and then a couple other people, and I got invited to give a talk uh, at it. And uh, so I was like, well, I better figure out what this is, because I don't know anything about atonement. Um,
1: Can I ask, this is, I don't want to derail this too quickly, but yeah. what is a sounding?
0: A soundings. Soundings yeah. in
1: biblical Trinitarian. It's kind of a hipster
0: theme. hipster phrase, right? <laughs> is it just like soundings. a collection
1: of ideas or something? Yeah. Soundings. I'm going to try Soundings. That. I'm working that into my 100,000 words.
0: There you go. You're going to write a thousand word email on the notion of soundings tonight. Yeah. So everybody write Father Mike emails. No. <laughs> Send them directly no. to his. Uh, Dad, no. Because he needs to hit his quota.
1: No, I do plenty of that. All right, atonement.
0: Atonement. So atonement, um, I'm going to explain what it is, try and explain why it's important, and then unpack why I think this book is really worth reading. How does that sound? Cool. Okay, so atonement is a biblical word. The other word that you hear is expiation, mm-hmm. right? And uh, i got to put this on my chin for a second, sorry. Um, I found this picture in my old Bible of my ankle after the injury. Look at that thing.
1: Oh, Sta- are those staples or those rods? Are,
0: those are huge uh, screws in my ankle.
1: What did you do to your ankle?
0: Skiing? Uh, skiing. Tore all ligaments a... and damaged oh, the cartilage. Oh, that's
1: right. Okay, I remember.
0: So anyways, um, so this is John chapter 4. So the first letter of John chapter 4. Uh, we hear this line um, that, I, you know, even looking at the Bible here, I was like, oh, I've kind of been missing this for years and then finally kind of paid attention. Here's what it says. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Um in that he loved us. Okay. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the expiation for our sins. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as expiation for our sins or atonement for our sins. So this is a word. Those are parallel. Same. Same. Yeah. Different words, but kind of the same concept. So the, the main point that I think John is trying to make, and, and, and you can correct me, and I'm happy to have you as a biblical scholar on this, because um, John is writing the letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. I was taught this uh, as correctives to Gnostic misinterpretations of his gospel. Uh-huh. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But he's really clarifying for us, this is what love is. And we don't know what love is. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. Like, we think we know what love is. We think we're all kind of pretty I ni- want to
1: know what love is.
0: <laughs> we're all pretty nice people, and we're really loving. And it's like, well, kind of. There's kind of aspects of it. You experience love. But most of, as Lewis says in The Great Divorce, most of what we called love down there on Earth was just this desperate desire to be loved. Hmm. And uh, so there's kind of a sobering that happens when we read John closely, and we're like, what is love exactly? Not that we love God, but God loves us and sent his son as expiation for our sins.
1: And nowhere else in the New Testament do you hear that most profound quote. Right. 1 John 6, 4. God is love. Right. You know, Dave's uh, caritasist, you know, to use that title again, but.
0: So we don't know love unless we know God. And again, these are, this is a very simple thing to say, but when you think about it, it's like if I'm not living in relationship to God today, I, I I don't know what love is. I'm kind of kind of grasping in the dark, hints and guesses here and there to kind of roughly gesture towards it. And we've been
1: do we know it as like a voice in the distance, like we're aware that these little things are speaking of something of the most profound. Like I think everyone, whether or not they know Christ, wouldn't they have little experiences? that they would call, like, the most profound thing. No doubt. I would say love is the most profound thing. But, like, the fullness of love. Like, really what it is. The source of love. The source
0: of love. Yeah, absolutely. We all experience love in little ways, but it's one of those things. It's like, well, how do you describe it? And what John is kind of doing is he's taking a very um, beautiful and rich historical context from the Old Testament um, and trying to... Locate that in Christ. The letter of the Hebrews is also going to talk about expiation or atonement. Right. Atonement literally means at one meant. It comes about in the 16th century. The ancient more ancient word would be expiation, but atonement's more of a modern word. At one meant. So reestablishing unity is what God does. And this is the hallmark and the defining reason for how we know what love is is the way that he reestablishes us. So what does that presuppose? Presupposes that there was a, a rupture in love, right? With, and we talk about original sin. And if we don't start with that, and, and 1 John, is, especially chapter 5, is talking a lot about sin. This is where we get the definition of mortal versus venial sin, these different things. So if we Are have— Are you
1: referring specifically to the, a rupture of the love of God and human beings? Right. Or between human beings? Both. Okay.
0: I make fun of the Polito family because whenever they say both, they put two L's in the middle of it. Both.
1: Both. I've heard that. That is weird. Both. <laughs> I guess
0: is how you have to say it. Both. Both. Um, so shout out to Andrea and Peter. I don't know if the other guys, uh, the other kids in that family do it, but those two definitely say both. Or what both. about the kids? They say both. Both. Both us. So, um, so Ratzinger talks about, in some of his other writings, he talks about every religion is defined by the need to atone for sin. Sin costs something. It's not just like, uh, oh, dang, you know, we sinned, and but there was a rupture, there was a break, there was a. It's a problem that we all face, and this is tied to the experience of like we experience love, but then we get betrayed by false love, and we don't know what it is, and sometimes we're we think we're loving. I mean, sin is misdirected love. You know, you think about lust, for example. Yeah, it's I was going to have you pursuing.
1: to define sin then. I don't want to go, you know, Well, t- all, all roundabout, but it, I find it, like, if you're saying there's something owed after sin, I think of something like amends. Yeah. Like, how can I make it up to you? Right. Right? How can I make, well, make things right, like settle your frustration, but also do something to, I, I don't know, to make up for it how can i do something extra yeah is that the kind of thing that you're talking about making it up yeah for one of the, the, something i've done wrong
0: yeah one of the mm. or a couple of the words we use is we talk about penance we talk about reparation mm. like if i get in my car and just drive into yours and i'm just like sorry bro i owe you i owe you one you're just like yes, you don't exactly. owe me That's one a good example you need to pay for that damage <laughs> yeah, exactly and it's like and no, don't do that again no dude it's cool it's totally cool like we're friends it's totally <laughs> cool like what's the big deal Dude, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Well,
1: because I got a broken windshield. Exactly.
0: Your car's (laughs) broken. Something broke. And we're broken. Um, And we need need a remedy, and we get that in the cross. And the cross is an atoning sacrifice. And we've lost a sense of sacrifice because we're embarrassed as moderns about this. So uh, St. Paul in Hebrews talks about Um, there is no redemption without the shedding of blood. Like something had to happen. And there's a number of kind of uh, ways that historically um, we've talked about in the church. And I I could go through those if we have time, but um, we, the basic point is that like things are broken and we're not just a bunch of nice people standing in line being like, no, you take the last of the quinoa at whole foods. And just like, no, seriously, you take the last, no, no, you, you take it. It's like, this is just like crazy. Like you talked about the world, like, it's not fixed.
1: I really don't think that example would ever apply to me. <laughs> you no no you no no the you last of the quinoa at Whole Foods. <laughs> Sorry. Sadly, okay. that was the first
0: example that came to my mind. <laughs> Let
1: me. So we harmed God, and now we live in this state of feeling like I would like to make it up to you, but I don't know how and I can't. Which
0: we can't. Yeah. And every religion is trying to deal with the question of guilt from sin which is mm. the the human experience of broken of a broken relationship yeah that, that that's at the core everybody is trying to say how do we expiate for sin something is broken so the most native primitive prehistoric religion is trying to deal with this and it intimately involves blood and sacrifice and that's where as moderns we're just yeah, like in, so we're embarrassed we're embarrassed by that it's like no that's ridiculous
1: you remember uh, Goransky used to say something about I want blood. Yeah. You know, there was something about vengeance. Right. That was, I demand blood. You're right. Or Shylock, you know, a pound of flesh. And, um, yeah, there's something very primal about that. I don't, it makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> the idea of sacrifice. Maybe because I live in the, on the other side when Jesus got rid of the the literal blood sacrifice. That used to happen in a lot of primitive. Well, I shouldn't say primitive. In India, they're still doing a lot of animal sacrifice. Right. But um, yeah, I feel that. You're like, how can we make this up to you? And blood is is scary. It holds life. Mm-hmm. It's like the most heavy and important thing. It's like the most valuable thing. It's better than gold. Better than what you know. And to give it, to shed it, to take it is very profound act.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you go back in the Old Testament and you see, so we believe that the Jewish covenant is the prefigurement to Christ and the cross. So we, we interpret, and this is what John and Paul and the writers of the New Testament are doing They're interpreting the event of Christ, not that God just became man, but that he, he became an atoning sacrifice on the cross. They're interpreting that in light of the Old Testament. So we hear first atonement, the language of atonement comes out of Yom Kippur. Right. So what is Yom Kippur? The
1: Day of Atonement.
0: The Day of Atonement.
1: You got a day each year that's a day of, well, in modern Judaism, it's become the day when you forgive everybody and judgment is declared. So you want to make everything right over the course of this last year because you are judged. Right. You will be judged. And... Um, you want to do everything you can yeah, to, to make your apologies, give apologies, um, forgive everybody, ask for forgiveness and everything. But the, yeah, the Old Testament at, at Sinai, the revelation is, okay, you're going to have this ceremony where you put all the sins of the people on a goat. And then you uh, are going to slay that goat in order to say, you know, this is the end of the sin and it's, it's paid for paid for by the blood of this thing now would they have ever thought that that was enough i don't know but it was something it was a ritual given to them as something
0: and it was never enough it was like seeking this kind of infinite amount of blood so i mean at the high and you know much more about this than i do but at the peak of the temple worship you know you think about like under solomon you have like hundreds if not thousands of sacrificed animals daily mm-hmm. we're just trying to make retribution. And there's this instinct within the human that says, blood is intimately involved with the atonement of sin. So Turek's book and her interest, and this is kind of a a nice little summary line, she says, atonement is the form that the love of God takes in his son, Jesus Christ, under sin-wrought conditions, a love than which no greater can be conceived. So basically, atonement is what Christ is, in the face of sin now what i love about this book uh okay so we'll jump to point three and then i'll go back to point two so what i love about this book is that atonement became um kind of legalistic a juridic thing uh in the end of the medieval period and early modernity so like luther is going to take atonement and say christ it's a forensic kind of compensation he forensic, substitutes forensic
1: meaning courtroom. Yeah. Judgment.
0: Yeah. It's all about Legal. God the Father has to exact justice on the world. And he does that by juridically exacting it on the Son. So the Son becomes it's a substitutionary vision of of atonement. So the Son, Jesus substitutes himself in the place of the sinner and God strikes him down mm. with wrath and vengeance and he just literally falls into hell. That's so how Luther understands So you deserve,
1: it. you committed a crime, you deserve the death penalty. You deserve the death penalty. I will take the death penalty for you. Right. and, God, that,
0: and But the, the weird thing is that God the Father exacts this on the Son. Right. So you start there and you're like, well, that's really And you intense. do wonder,
1: like, why did, am I really that bad? Yeah. That God the Father hates me <laughs> like right. he wants to kill me or something
0: and that's very different than like in the the first millennium like the fathers of the church really understood atonement or the cross as redemption which is um the greek word is really about ransom so he pays the debt he pays the costs like you think you get like Kidnapped or something, he pays the ransom and yeah, you, you, you're back you. from the devil.
1: Yeah, or pay, pays the cost of your slavery. Right. <laughs> Anselm, you free.
0: Anselm in the 11th century is going to do a lot with atonement, but he's going to look at it from um, the perspective of of honor being restored. God's honor. It's a very medieval vision of like yeah. God's honor has been infinitely violated, and only God himself could restore that honor. All right, so... Mm. St. Thomas is going to work with that. He's going to kind of look at it from the perspective of merit. But Luther's the one who really radicalizes it and changes it. So the Catholic vision of atonement is a sacrificial representation that Christ does represent us, but he doesn't substitute in the way that God strikes him down. The reason this book is awesome and worth reading is because it takes the Trinitarian theology of Ratzinger, Balthasar, a couple other guys, John Paul II, and it reinfuses and reinvigorates this con- this notion. So, what one of the great insights that she had was when Jesus becomes atonement in the face of sin, what he's doing is he's asserting against sin, sonship. So it's actually the Father working through him, initiating and engendering his love, and actually the Son is the Son because of the Father, God the Father. So they're not dialect- diametrically opposed. But it's the Son, Jesus asserting sonship over sin. That's how sin is conquered. It's not about paying a price or just shedding blood or having some kind of sacrifice, but it's precisely as the Son and His love, His filial love of the Father that is the source of the redemption or the cross which reconciles us. And I love that and think Mm -hmm. that's super interesting because we often think of we have to take care of sin by doing things. We suck, and our job as priests is to remind you that you suck. So <laughs> go out and do better; otherwise, it's going to get worse. And and it's like what the father does is he says the opposite of sin is is sonship or daughterhood, like being a son and daughter. It's relationship. That's how the Trinity works to overcome sin and to reconcile us.
1: So I, I'm trying to I'm just trying to understand this. Um, I think I'm getting it. Kind of uh, talking through it. Is the sin then, by its definition, then alienation from God? Alienation from our self-understanding of our relationship to God? Yes. And literal alienation from God. We were not sons and daughters. The and basic then,
0: effect of sin is distance from God. If you sin, you're distance from God. This is why right. John says in chapter right. 5 of, of his first letter, no one who sins is begotten of the Father, is, is born of the Father. Like, we don't belong to God if so sin.
1: to make it up you have to re- i guess i think of the par- uh, parable of the prodigal son right to to make up for it i have to say i am no longer your son and our feeling is that i the only way that i can pay you back is accepting this alienation forever and um but but attempting to sort of obey and so i'm thinking of something like Um, I, I have a lot of respect for Islam, so I don't want to be hard on that, um, on that religion, but there's a difference here. And one of those is a relationship to God that is, um, we owe you because we've created chaos and and disorder in the world. And in order to show you respect, um, or to restore things, it's to, to follow your law in respect. But you never—it's not about sonship. It's just about you're a creation that either um, obeys God or does not. And um, and in that sense, it feels like something of I'm trying to make it up to you with this infinite, what, um, yeah, distance or this infinite cost. Yeah, where there's the the change is a whole change of categories. What I'm I don't. I'm not trying to make up this this cost of my sin. I don't realize that my alienation is not just a debt I paid. It's because I lost my sense as being a a child. Yeah. My sense of being a son, and so Jesus taking on that alienation somehow brings us back and is the cost of um, of our return to. Uh, feel your relationship with God. Uh, I don't know if, so I, I think I'm still kind of affected by the Lutheran um, and the sacrificial thing. The hard part for me is the sun itself is the atonement. Like, I don't understand that because I think of the cross, the, the violence, the blood, the all of these things as the, something is paying. Something is, um, making up for this sin, that there's a consequence, a cost. And to say the atonement is the sun, I mean, logically, it's something that I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around.
0: Yeah, so back to— Like, how
1: does that—okay, so the sonship itself, how does that relate to the, the bloody sacrifice of the cross?
0: Yeah, so I, I think that—so just back to her point that from the beginning of the book, atonement is the form— that the love of God takes in his son, Jesus Christ. So what she's trying to move us away from is a sense that atonement is something that God the Father executes upon the son, that oh, he okay. suffers and dies out of the need for justice for the the infinite amount of sin, which has taken place in in, in history, and in human history. So she's trying to say, the, God the Father, by engendering the son's sonship is actually affecting the atonement. So he's working in and through the sun as he dies on the cross. Now the question of blood um, and why sacrifice is an interesting one. And I think uh, a follow-up conversation on Rene Girard would be super interesting on this point because he's done a lot of work on kind of primitive religiosity, but also even with, from a Christian perspective of um, why, why, what's the relationship there um, in terms of life Mm -hmm. because sin is death and so i think that blood as you said earlier it's like is the expression of life especially in the ancient world it was the sense of this is what keeps me alive is so the shedding of blood is really connected with the inversion around death um and the need for something has to die in exchange so we don't die because we're going to die in our sin Mm. the other interesting thing on your second point there was um Ratzinger will talk about sin is the rejection of relationality. So you become alienated from God, from others, when you sin. Um, And sin is just, yeah, it's something that just destroys relationship. And so the Son being in the Father at all times, but then suffering the atonement um, is, is is the way to restoration of relationship with the Father. This is the overcoming of the distance of sin affected by it.
1: Is it related at all to, I don't want to get too, like, technical or advanced or something, to this, um, what did he call it? Neuer, neuer uh, nearness and the abstand. Neuer uh, yeah.
0: abstand und near.
1: Is, it, uh, is it related to that kind of um, tension in, in God? Like, that they are different, and the, di- the distance in that difference um, is something, well, you can't say suffered. Um, to try to, to I, I'm trying, trying to think on the relationship to pain, and somehow Christ carrying our pain. Um, I know that there's other kind of references. Um, there's a, well, there's a lot of description of what is. What did Christ do? What is the meaning of the cross? What is the with the blood of Christ in Paul and these other New Testament kind of writings? And it's always hard to kind yeah. of put them together or to understand exactly what they're what are they seeing, what are they talking about. Maybe they're talking around trying to make sense of this crucifixion and it's and resurrection and like the power of those things and how they've changed the world and each person. Um, but I think I, I think I'm I think I'm getting it. And I, I think I get the point of the 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 sun is the atonement. Um, I I am going to chew on and wrestle with a lot of the bloody sacrifice stuff. That's so visceral that I mm-hmm. love that stuff. Yeah. And, um, but I think that's, yeah, that's, that's really interesting and profound. You presented at the atonement. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say anything about that? Or are you going to save that?
0: Um yeah I think, at I think the we're, conference. we're getting kind of late already so I better hold off. My my basic project was to 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 give a paper on the relationship between atonement and priesthood. And that began in about a year ago. I was teaching Mariology and I was really struck by the fact that on the January 1st we celebrate the feast of Mary Mother of God, All right? Great feast day. Her maternity. The first reading is from Numbers chapter 6 which is the Day of Atonement, which is the, the high priestly prayer that Aaron makes, and the high priest only makes one time a year on the Day of Atonement. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord sh- shed his show his face to, show face and to you and give you Be gracious to you, may he turn
1: his countenance to you and give you peace.
0: Right, and that is the first reading on Mary, Feast of Mary, Mother of God. Yeah, Christ. it is. So all of a sudden, you, what's tied together is Mary, priesthood, and atonement, and it's right there in the church and we sleeping through it, you know? Um, And uh, it was until I started to think on that. So that was really the project was to look at how priestly representation, because the priest is a sacramental representation of Christ. And this is not just represent like some kind of democracy. It's like represent. Think of the Eucharist here. Like we represent Christ who is, who represents the father in his atonement um, and then the relationship of Mary in that, so I was the the paper basically said, and it's going to come out. they're going to publish it. I think um all the papers, and some of them are, r- are really awesome. Mine was kind of a hot mess whatever. But, um, but basically to say, I think that a lot of the problems in priesthood could be resolved if we had a deeper vision of it, and we were rooting it back in Christ's atonement. right so but that might be for another another time and
1: the practice, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about yeah. that too.
0: All right, I'll give a final um, beautiful did final you, final thoughter. Can did I get you?
1: You got Yom Kippur. Did you find the Greek for atonement here? I mean, um, you didn't mention the Greek for atonement.
0: Uh, I have it. I don't have it in these notes. Um,
1: Fair enough. I should. Heliosmos.
0: Heliosmos. Yes, Heliosmos. Heliosmos. That's right.
1: The expiatory sacrifice.
0: Father Mike taught me Greek. Eliosmos. I'm not a language guy, but hanging out with this guy over the years, <laughs> picked up some language here we stuff. Go. So Heliosmos. Um, So I just want to end with, uh, and this is kind of intense, but um, just like why this matters, I guess. Um, On Tuesday, I was skiing with my uh, family and was walking through the lodge at Keystone and ran into somebody that I haven't seen for a bit. And it was just, it was a very brief conversation, but it was just ice cold hello and i was like i think this person hates my guts Wow! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as a sanguine there. <laughs> as a sanguine that's like the worst thing ever it's like we should sh- everybody should We're love all me friends. then uh three days later i saw an email in my inbox from the same person i was like uh-oh and it was one of i mean we get bad emails as priests um but this was like one of the most scathing like horrible things i've ever read wow. indicting i mean just like just really violent.
1: Uh, I feel relieved. It wasn't me. <laughs> it was not you.
0: <laughs> Maybe one of your well, minions. Well, I'm sorry, though. No, it was so bad. That's, and, you know, of course, painful. I play it off like, I don't really care. This doesn't bother me. But of course, it does. It bothers us. We're real human Was beings. it about
1: that particular? No, it was about well, something that happened. happened. It happened like. There's a, a lot year, of history behind that.
0: History with his family. And this mm. was a year ago. And it was just, it was so intense. But what, I, what helps me in prayer is to realize that um, A, I don't have everything together. Like mm. uh, this is a relationship that will probably never be reconciled. um, But it is reconciled mm. because Christ has atoned for his sins and for mine. Mm. Like he did. It's like every sin that we suffer, every injustice, you know, because the temptation is to like, be like, I got to show this to all my allies and then them reinforce like, what a jerk, you know? Mm. And, t- and then just like, and you're amazing, you know? And it's like, no, there's probably more in this. Some of these things are just really violent and lies, but it was just a good reminder that like human human life is broken. It's broken, relationships are mm-hmm. broken. Everything it's not just like it's not happily ever after until heaven, yeah. uh, after purgatory. But atonement is that Christ dealt with this already. Definitively. All sin. Everything—the worst things we've ever suffered from people—Christ has sacrificed for that. He died for that. He shed blood for that. He atoned for this experience. Yeah, and that—that that brought me a lot of consolation. Um, in the, you know, going into whatever my defense mechanism is of just like, you know, thinking of all the insanely violent responses I could do by email, which is never a good idea, um, or you know getting the allies together and talking through just what a horrible person he is and diagnosing everything. It's like, those are all the short options that don't satisfy the the deeper one is just to say self hatred. Yeah.
1: I can go there of like with regret and shame. I, so I was listening to something recently that was, they were talking about once you get to around your forties, you start to consider your, your past and like your mistakes Hmm whereas when you're you're coming up you're kind of like oh mistakes can all be washed over yeah. they can all be fixed and everything and then you get to a certain point in life when you say i can never make up for that yeah that happened yeah i did that and i regret it and i don't now i have to live with it but this that's deeply consoling to me just to know that somehow the christian while living with it also lives with this beautiful reality that Christ has loved me and loved others, loved the world so much that that's already been made up. Yeah. That we will be at peace, and um, there will be perfect love in heaven. And I feel like that with most of my regrets. Yeah. I'm just like, yes, I. Even the the word regret is like I made a real mistake, and I can't make this up. This will never be fixed for now during this lifetime, but I love that person. And those are the hardest. Those are the greatest mistakes yeah. is like if I hurt somebody or if I lost a relationship or something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I find that, yeah, super profound. And it gives you like a real deep kind of peace that it seems appropriate to me to, um, uh, to the Christian life. I'm still a child of God. I'm a mess. And I've made, serious mistakes, and there's a part of me that says, I want to despise myself and be miserable and exclude myself from that Mm. um, household. I should not be certainly a priest standing in front of people, you know, speaking well of God or trying to be an example or whatever. Um, But even like a Christian, you know, I want to crawl into the hole. Yeah. Um, But there's Christ saying, no, you are son. You are, um, I have... I have taken care of this somehow.
0: Yeah. And it is, it's a great source of hope kind of going full circle back to Benedict. He has a line that stuck with me. Um, He talks about forgiveness establishes communion. Mm. You want communion, which is love. You want to live in love. That's communion. Forgiveness is the way to it, but forgiveness happens because Christ has forgiven this messy situation. And that's what actually gives me the strength to do it. And the beautiful invitation of being a Christian is that you don't just receive atonement, but you actually are called into being sons and daughters in the Son, which means co-atoners in the atonement, which is Christ. So if Christ's atonement is sonship in the face of sin, then I'm invited into Christ. That's how I'm in relationship with the Father. And I do that, uh, and as I do that, I my sufferings— Everything becomes meaningful because I it gets drawn into his work of atoning, and then all of a sudden, my life takes on uh, a very different form of self-gift, where I can actually help Christ and accompany Christ um, in his work of atoning for the sin of the world, and it just it brings a, just kind of a vitality and a, um, kind of a newness to things. So. Thank you, Margaret Turek, for a fantastic yeah. book. That was just, just touching on the surface. Loving your
1: soundings.
0: Many soundings. Keep sound and sounding. Keep sounding, Margaret. Margo.
1: Margaret. <laughs> you're, <laughs> a, <laughs> you're, a, you're a pearl. Just you a know total that? pearl. In Greek, Margaret means pearl. Oh, really? Margarita.
0: Margarita. That's, that's right. The, the pearls. That's, that's you, Margaret. It's total pearl. I hope she hears this.
1: Hey, that's cool stuff, John. I really appreciate it. And thanks for your um, deep engagement with this stuff, intellectually. I mean. Thank you. Not only do we as companions, um, we had a, a a conversation about this. I'm still learning, you know. But, you know, you got a whole world of uh, listener land. And those who listen, it, hopefully you share these kinds of things of uh, profound thought. I mean, it's hard work yeah. to work out thought. Yeah, it is. A book like Margaret wrote or the article or the conference, whatever you mm-hmm. guys gave. This isn't just like you know, Catholic stuff. Here's, you know, a Wikipedia thought or something. That's, that's hours and weeks and days and stuff. So thank you for doing that work.
0: Thanks buddy. Yeah, it was, it is, it's deep work. It's uh, hopefully it was helpful tonight. Just an introduction, but I'd buy this book for everybody. I'd recommend it strongly. So, all right. You got any shout outs?
1: Oh, shout outs. Well, (laughs) I don't right. Maybe I'll get better at shout-outs for the new year. How about my sister Maggie? I'm always you make fun of me for always shouting out my sisters, but Maggie, you're gonna get one. This is why, because she revolutionized my my life this year by giving me an alarm clock with the it, it kind of like fades, uh, brings kind of brings light up. How do you say? Fades means down. Oh, like it, it just, dimmer means down. But it yeah. kind of slowly brightens oh. like the sunrise in my room. as it plays, or just... As it plays bird sounds. Oh, yeah. You, you love know, birds. Like soft sounds. bird sounds. And yeah. you can set it for the whales. Ooh. <laughs> and then, you remember I once, when we were living here as seminarians, I bought an alarm clock that was supposed to be nature sounds because <laughs> I didn't like beep, beep, beep. Right. So, I went and I go to Walgreens and they had two and I got the cheaper one. And... The cheaper <laughs> one had two, <laughs> only two animal settings. One was birds of prey. I was like, Rah! and I wake up. The other one was like a wild cat. <laughs> either way, like I getting eaten. woke up terrified. That would be really. Start f- my day. So, really but anyway, weird. Max. Mags, thank you for the fantastic alarm clock. This one is so <laughs> sweet and restful. Nice. And I feel happy. Birds. And wakes me up from those weird psychedelic dreams.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. I'll, I'll stay, keep it in the family here, and uh, shout out my brother. My sister um, confronted me for calling my brother fat publicly on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh-oh. That was not my intention. The dad bod, which he has a dad bod, but- Your brother's not
1: fat. No, he's, de-
0: he's definitely not fat. He, but the dad bod is a badge of honor. That's like I'm laying down my life for the family. And like That's what I meant really?
1: to Really? You kind of have a grin on your face. And he's still that's got old man that. strength.
0: Well, I just, you know, so I think everybody shout out knows. to my brother. That's yeah. the
1: sacrifice a father makes. Right, atonement. That yeah, that's true. And now I need to. I
0: need to atone for my sins of calling my brother fat. So which I did. What's not. What's his
1: style? He likes cinnamon rolls, like I do.
0: He's a cheeseburger oh, guy. Yeah. That oh, was the man. first thing his wife did was she she put him on a, like a ration of Five Guys because he just loves cheeseburgers.
1: Oh boy, <laughs> sorry Steve, <laughs> but You're he's cool. You, he's you still look got the awesome. I know. Rugby
0: strength so anyway shout out to them they're having a baby boy in a couple months super excited yeah, for the congratulations, family guys. yeah this is great
1: you, you remember, just remember that you promised to call it Michael Michael
0: that's call right this
1: little guy Michael
0: that's a good name I like that and then uh, Eamon and Miriam shout out to them Joe McGill Joe so McGill so great being yes, with him. Joe McGill Austin Lickie Evan Coop all the boys were together it was really fun so anyways we'll call it there right at an hour okay Mike thanks for tonight hey. happy epiphany to you
1: Happy Epiphany, Happy New Year, Happy Christmas, all that stuff.
0: We have, uh, we're looking forward to having Bishop Cousins on, who's a rock star, companion, now he's the Bishop of Crookston, Minnesota. He's doing the Eucharistic Revival, and we just booked him for a couple weeks out, so it's going to be awesome, you and I. Can't wait, man. We're going to have him, and we're really excited about that. What an honor,
1: thank you, thank you, Father.
0: That'll be coming in about a month. Bishop. Yeah, so, all right, everybody. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year to you, and... uh, Get writing those 100,000 words of email in 2023. All
1: right. I've already started.